Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Wednesday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Hey, we left off on Monday with Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River opposite Jericho, and then immediately being driven into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by Satan. Now, I would argue that Jesus was baptized at the festival of Passover. Passover is in the spring, right at Easter time, if you will. He was baptized then. Now, turn with me to John chapter 1 at verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. So John is once again baptizing in the Jordan River at the next festival, which would be Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Jesus has been in the wilderness and he's come back. And now John is baptizing once again at that very same spot. And there are huge crowds and word has gotten up to Jerusalem that there's something going on down there at Jericho. So they sent a delegation of priests and Levites to find out what's happening here. They asked John who he was. Who are you? He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah, if that's what you're thinking. They asked him, well then, who are you? Are you Elijah? Remember Elijah the prophet? Elijah didn't die. He was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, a chariot of fire. And we read at the end of Malachi that Elijah will return. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? The prophet. In Deuteronomy, Moses is about to die. And he tells the people not to worry because a prophet like me will come and you must listen to him. So are you the prophet that Moses referred to over in Deuteronomy? Are you the one? He answered, no. Notice, I am not the Christ. I am not, no. John's patience runs out very quickly with the religious leaders. Finally, they said, well then, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Well, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? If you're not one of those three, what are you doing here? And John replied, I baptize with water, but among you, note the preposition, among you, literally, in your midst, stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now here's the scene. 
Jesus was baptized at Passover and was immediately driven out to the desert where he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now he comes back to the fording place opposite Jericho and the crowds are coming for Pentecost. And there's John baptizing again. So can you picture the scene? As the religious leaders confront John the Baptist, Jesus is standing there on the edge of the crowd with his arms crossed in front of him, watching the whole scene. And John sees him. And of course, John knows him because they're cousins after all. Mary and Elizabeth, John's mother, were relatives, and Jesus and John are relatives, cousins. So John knew Jesus from the time he was a little boy growing up. All the, all the festivals, Mary and Joseph and Jesus would come to Jerusalem for the festivals. And where would they stay? With relatives, no doubt, Zachariah and Elizabeth and little John. So they knew, they knew each other going way back to their childhood. So when John said, I baptize with water, but in your midst stands one you do not know, and he looks over at Jesus, Jesus winks at him, and John winks back. All this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Isn't that a great scene? Put Jesus in the crowd and let them recognize each other. I'm not reading into the text. I think it's a reasonable assumption to make. Now, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John, John knows something about Jesus. Did they talk? Did Jesus tell him? while they were growing up, his intuitions, his thinking about his own self-identity. And what was John doing there at the Jordan River opposite Jericho? If you stand on the western bank of the Jordan River opposite Jericho, right at the baptismal spot, and you look south to your right, you can see where the Jordan River enters the Dead Sea. And up on an overhang, a plateau, was Qumran, home of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Essene community. I would propose, and I'd propose it pretty strongly actually, that John was somehow affiliated with the Essenes at Qumran. Much of what John does and much of what he speaks about, and Jesus too, comes right from the thinking in that community at Qumran. Why is John baptizing at that spot? You can walk to Qumran in a couple hours. But all this happened. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. Well, clearly he did know him in the sense that this is Jesus. But I didn't fully comprehend the magnitude of who he is until 
I baptized him. And then I knew. Well, I bet when John brought him up out of the water, as we read in Mark, and the heavens were torn open and the Holy Spirit roared out of heaven into Jesus. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son. And John is holding him, dripping with water. John may have thought that Jesus was who he is, but he didn't fully comprehend it until that moment. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw it just 50 days earlier. I saw it with my own eyes. I held him in my arms as I lifted him out of the water. And I saw it. I witnessed it. Later, after Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, after the birth of the church on the Jewish feast of Pentecost, A.D. 32, Peter is arrested and about to be executed. He writes an epistle to the church at large, 2 Peter, and he stresses the importance of being an eyewitness to all the things that we know and hear about Jesus. Peter said, I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. Well, John has seen this with his own eyes, and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, Lamb of God, there, there, there he is again. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. One of them was our apostle, John, who also knew Jesus. But now John the Baptist has told our apostle John who he is. Again, they both knew him. They were both relatives. But what an epiphany. So when John said, look, the Lamb of God, our Apostle John and Andrew, Peter's brother, said, we'll catch up with you. And they turned and followed Jesus. And Jesus saw them turn and begin to follow him. And he said, what, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Notice they refer to him as teacher. So he's already been teaching before he even launches his public ministry. Did he sit with his cousin John and, and Andrew and Peter and the others and talk? Teacher, where are you staying? He said, come, I'll show you. So they went and they saw where he was staying it was room 631 at the Hyatt Regency, I believe. And, uh, and they, they went and stayed with him. And get this, they spent 
the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. In John, John uses Roman time. The day begins at midnight, as our day begins, and the 10th hour would be 10 o'clock in the morning. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, use Jewish time. In Jewish time, the day ends when the first three stars are in the sky. There was evening, there was morning. I'm sorry, the day begins, there was evening, there was morning. The first day or the second day or the third day. So the span of a day is from sunset to sunset in Jewish time. John uses Roman time and that answers any conflict in time periods that we have between John and the synoptics. Well, on we go. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed him. So it's our apostle John, Jesus' cousin, and Andrew, also a cousin. And they spent that day with him. And the first thing Andrew did was to find Peter and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Now think of that. They spend the day with him. I suspect until sometime mid to late afternoon. And then they go back to where they were staying. Now clearly, Andrew and John know Jesus, a cousin. But like John the Baptist, I didn't fully comprehend who he was until now. We found him, the Messiah. You're not gonna believe this. You have to wonder what the conversation was that Andrew and John had with Jesus at room 631 at the Hyatt, where they spent the day with him. They must have, they were witnesses. They were, they were there at the Jordan River. They heard what John the Baptist had said. They must have asked him questions. But by the time that afternoon is over, they fully comprehended. They bring Peter to Jesus. Room 631 at the Hyatt. Jesus opens the door. And he said, Oh, that you're Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which when translated as Peter or the rock. So, and you know that Andrew and John had laughed themselves silly at that because Peter is just the opposite of a rock. He's the most mercurial of the whole bunch. Now the next day, and notice how we're tracing the days. The next day, the next day, the next day. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Time to go home. So finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Apparently, Philip had come from Galilee with Jesus. They were staying at the very same place, and they were preparing to go home. So Philip is right there waiting in the lobby, and Jesus said, time to go. 
Now, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Today, about two miles north of the Sea of Galilee, because over 2,000 years, uh, the river silted in, and uh, it appears that the lake is further away than it was at the time of Jesus. But Bethsaida, right about 12 o'clock, if you think of the Sea of Galilee as a clock. So Philip found Nathanael, and they were all traveling together. And he told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Now, how many times have you been told that Nazareth was a tiny little village? Which is true. Maybe 20 extended families, a couple hundred people. Just a little village on a finger ridge overlooking the Jezreel Valley. Today it's the biggest city in Galilee. But back then, just a little tiny village. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Well, yes, it was a little town, but more importantly, Nazareth and Galilee itself. Galilee was a hotbed of radical revolutionary thought and action. Every insurrection against the authorities in Jerusalem or against the Romans originated in Galilee. If I say to you, I'm Dr. Bill Creasy from UCLA, well, saying that would have associations with it. If you're particularly in California, you know UCLA nationwide. It's a, a top 10 university in the country. And you would have assumptions about who I am based upon being a professor at UCLA for 30 years. But if I said, I'm Dr. Bill Creasy from Berkeley, well, Berkeley has totally different associations than UCLA. You would think, oh, he's one of those radical professors. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? That's a hotbed of radical revolutionary thought. Hey, look, you really don't want anything to do with this guy. But Philip said, no, you gotta come and see. So when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, Now here's a genuine Israelite in whom there is no guile. Now what an odd thing to say upon meeting a person. Now here's a genuine American in whom there's no guile. What? It's, it has no connection to what's going on. And Nathanael asked, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Under the fig tree is a euphemism for, I saw you while you were reading. Apparently, Nathaniel had bought a scroll in Jerusalem and was reading it while in the lobby of the Hyatt. And Jesus saw him. And then Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Well, how does that follow from you saw me reading? 
unless Jesus knew what Nathanael was thinking while he was reading. Here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no guile, nothing false. Well, what Israelite do we know that's filled with deception? How about go back to Genesis? Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob and his brother Esau. Jacob cheated Esau out of his birthright. He cheated his father Isaac. He cheated his mother. He cheated everybody he came in contact with until finally he had to get out of town fast, and he does. And in Genesis 28, here's the scene. He's getting out of Dodge, heading toward Paden Aram up north to stay with his mother's brother, his uncle Laban. Let me look at the story here with you. In Genesis 28 at verse 10. Now Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He's moving north. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. So, time to make camp. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream. Well, yeah, I guess so. If you were out camping and you were sleeping with your head on a rock, you'd have a dream too. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching up to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Jacob's ladder. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and east, the north and the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. I, I wasn't aware of it. And he was afraid. Oh, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. So early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it. And he called that place Bethel, the house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow, get this, saying, if God will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and give me food to eat and clothes to wear and I return safely to my father's house, then I will allow the Lord to be my God. <laughs> can, can you imagine? If, if God will watch over me on the journey, if God will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, and if I return safely, then I'll let him be my God. Well, thank you very much, Jacob. I appreciate that. Now imagine Nathaniel reading that story. Nathaniel reading the story and, and thinking to himself, 
Now, why in the world would God do all that for the, the deceiver Jacob? The con man, the deceiver. So when Jesus saw Nathanael and said to him, now here's a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deception. That stunned Nathanael because he was thinking about Jacob being the deceiver having read that story. And Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you while you were reading. Well, lest you doubt my, my interpretation here, folks, you shall see greater things than that. And he added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on me. That ties in the story in Genesis chapter 28 and explains Jesus' comment about being a genuine Israelite in whom there is no guile. What a great story. What will happen next? Well, they leave, and on the third day, there was a wedding that took place at Cana. So Friday, you and I will attend a wedding, a great wedding at Cana. All right, see you then. Thank you, folks. Bye-bye now.